Hey, welcome to the Hemi-Singh Podcast. We are joined today by Dr. Lati Valentin. Uh, she is a physician, an evidential psychic medium, an international keynote speaker, and author of a book, a book and a half. Uh, it's called uh, Med School After Menopause, The Journey of My Soul, and she is a contributing author to We Touched Heaven. Uh, she is the director of the Center for Integrative Medicine in Phoenix, Arizona, where she works in family health care. Prior to med school, she was an entrepreneur and worked in the corporate world. Starting her career with IBM in New York as a programmer and systems analyst, and then later as a sales rep in the biotech field. And most importantly, her new Hemisync album is called Ancestral Healing. Uh, so listeners will notice that there is quite a pivot that you took in that bio, going from kind of the corporate world to becoming a naturopathic doctor. Um, and the proximate cause for that pivot were two near-death experiences that you had. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about those. Yeah, it really, it really took a big pivot in my life. Um, the first half of my life, as I call it, because after you have a near-death experience, my life became divided. So it's, it's the before I had the NDE and the person I was at that time, and then who I became as a result of these near-death experiences. But before I went, before I had my near-death experience, I, I was working, as you said, for IBM. I was a programmer systems analyst, very methodical in my approach, um, a complete atheist. I did not believe in anything, the spiritual or religions, even though I was raised in Sweden, which is the northern part of Europe. And I was confirmed, like all the people were back then, uh, in the Lutheran church at the age of 14. And I did not believe in anything that I said, it's just a story. You know, there is no, no life after death. When you die, that's it, it's just black. And then I had two children and then I had my third child. And after my third child, I hemorrhaged right after birth. First of all, she was born between a 7.4 and a 7.2 earthquake. So my labor actually stopped for about half an hour. Then she was born and then I hemorrhaged the first time. And then I had a lot of pain um, like in, in, inside me as if somebody uh, put a bowling ball inside me, I was pushing down. And that's what it felt like. And um, on day 10, after my daughter was born, it was um, July 8th, she, um, I hemorrhaged, I had a huge blood clots come out and I went to the ER and they observed me for about two or three hours and they did a manual inspection and they said, well, nothing much is going on right now. So they sent me on my way. And then it happened again the next day. And then the next day I saw the doctor and then it happened again. We went back to the ER. And then while I'm in the ER, uh, I started bleeding again and they've already done their manual inspection and they're just, you know, keeping me for observation. I was, you know, I, I was young and tan. We lived in Southern California at the time. I looked like the picture of health, right? A 34 year old tan blonde, mother of you know three i just i didn't look sick so it's you know sometimes we judge people on the way they look and i started bleeding. heard about that yes right yeah. and and um i started bleeding again and um luckily this nurse checks on me and she realizes how much i've been bleeding so i hear the call in the loudspeaker you know obgyn stat to the er and after about 30 seconds this gentleman comes jogging into the ER, completely out of breath. I'm sure he ran across the whole hospital with a younger physician in tow. And as they examine me again, I, I know another huge blood clot comes out. And at that point, um, I knew that something was really wrong. And I tried to tell the doctor, I said, I don't feel good. And he does, he knew because at that point he understood what was going on. You know, he saw the amount of blood that came out. And they put me down on the bed and they started tipping it backwards. And my head went down towards the floor, keep the blood and the vital organs and my feet went up. And I have a nurse on my left trying to place an IV because back then in 1992, they didn't place IVs. Now, if you go to the ER, sometimes they place an IV on you, even if you know people wonder, why are you putting an IV in me? Well, it's because if something goes south, we have access to your vein and they yeah. can just inject medication. But back then, I guess they didn't do that. So they had a really hard time accessing my veins because now my veins are collapsing because I'm going into shock. So, and then I have a nurse on my right and she's quoting my blood pressure and it's, she yells out uh, 50 over 15, hurry. 
And at that point, and I knew, I felt like I was just falling, like a free fall. Uh, imagine jumping out of an airplane without a parachute, you're just free falling. And I think that part of it was just the blood pressure, you know, falling. Mm. And shortly after she yelled out 50 over 15, I knew that I was dying. And then this is very different uh, because that experience of the 7.4 earthquake in the middle of me uh, being in labor, I thought I was going to die. And a lot of us have had experiences like this in our life where we're close to being in a car accident or we're on an airplane that's in turbulence. And we, we think, oh my gosh, this is it. My life is gonna end. But this was different because I knew that I was dying. And the complete atheist that I was, what did I do? I prayed to God to save my life. (laughs) And it's just, you know, there is nothing left, right? You have nothing left. So that's what you're going to do. And it was shortly after that, that I just, I was in my body, but then a split second later, I'm outside my body and I'm floating, you know, a couple of feet outside my body. And many times people ask me, how did you, how did you enter or exit? I have absolutely no idea if I entered or exit through my crown or my chest because it's so fast because one split second, I'm inside the next split second, I'm outside. And mm-hmm. you, you, it's, uh, it's like my brain can't quite comprehend how fast that transition happens because it's so fast. And I'm While, curious, sorry, yeah, did, did you observe it as if you were looking down from above or did it just feel like you were floating above your body? So for me, uh, my memory is that I'm floating above my body, mm-hmm. but not actually, you know how some people are turned around and they're in the corner and they look down. Yeah. I have no memory of that. I just have a memory of floating above my body. But the first thing that I thought was, how can this happen? How can I still be me and be mm-hmm. outside my body? Because this is not supposed to happen. Yeah. But uh, there was a knowledge that I belonged to the body. And I've heard people talk about the silver cord and that's how you're connected. I did not see that, but I, I had an understanding and a knowing that I was somehow tied to that body, but not seeing visually a cord or anything like that. But while I'm outside the body, there is this complete uh, peace and quietness. And there is the one thing I learned that there is no time. There is no time on the other side when you're outside because you can access past, present, and future all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then I got sucked back into my body. And then, you know, the whole healing journey of that. And then because of this, I think, then I had electrical interference, and we can talk about that. And then I got sick, uh, really sick with bone marrow suppression. So I didn't have an immune system and I would bruise really easily. And it's during this time of healing that I have another near-death experience. So. I'll cover this near death experience. Then we can cover everything that happened around this. So the second time um, was two years later. And I'm walking this very fine. Like uh, now that I've been to medical school, I I understand how sick I was, but I was raised. My father was a general practitioner. My mother worked as a hospital floor administrator. One of my brothers is a surgeon and I have cousins and, you know, everybody that I was around, as a child were doctors and nurses. So I had heard every single story in my life and how things went wrong and what happened next to this person or that person. And I, we didn't have any insurance the first year I was sick mm-hmm. because my husband's company got bought, everybody got laid off and he was just trying to get the next best job. He was at like a regional manager in the computer businesses. And he had, you know, he had a wife and three kids to support and he just tried to jump and we couldn't afford the Cobra payments because they were too high for a family with three children. So we lived that whole year without any insurance. And I was really sick. I had a big bruise on my hip and I would get pneumonia and go back to the doctor. And um, it was a month before we were going to get insurance. And I saw this doctor, I had this huge bruise covering my entire hip. I had bumped in with my hip to the changing table and something that would give you a bruise the size of a dime or a nickel was a bruise that spanned my entire hip area. It was just purple and red. And he knew something was you know, terribly wrong. And I said, look, I'm, we're getting insurance July 1st. I, you know, it's May 15th or something now. 
if I go now and we do this lab work, I have survived the entire year like this. I'm not going to get insurance because I'll have a pre-existing condition. It's crazy how common that is in America. Like oh, people yes. make healthcare decisions like that all the time because medical debt wipes out so many Americans. It's barbaric, but it, yeah, it, sorry it, to interrupt. it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is now that I work in, in, in medicine, it's, it is barbaric because people are not able to access the care that they need. But so being so sick and having this bone marrow suppression, um, and I was used to having this feeling of my soul not having merged in with my body all the way. So imagine that you lay uh, a puzzle and then one of the pieces is sticking up and you kind of pat it down at the end, make it smooth. It was like that. It was, <clears throat> it was as if my soul was not merged completely in with my body. And so it was always trying to leave. And so, you know, all the way, you know, all day long, I would be, no, 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 we can't leave. We got to stay. We got, I got to take care of the kids. And um, that was just my life. And many times I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would have to take my head off the pillow because I would be too faint and I would pull my legs up because I had so little uh, blood in my body that I always had that feeling of feeling faint. So in the middle of the night, so again, I wake up uh, in the middle of the night and I said, no, we can't leave. This is just my daily existence. Don't leave. Hold on to that soul. Stay in the body. But again, just like in the ER, it was just a split second and I'm outside my body. But this second experience is very different from the first experience. And I always joke that I didn't get the full effect the first time. So the spirit world was like, oh, she didn't get the whole message. We have to do it again because she mm -hmm. has to activate her life path. Yeah. Right. So then I get pulled out of my body, but this time I'm just tumbling through darkness and I get to what I call the mid station because it is as if you step into an elevator of a skyscraper and you push, it has a hundred floors and you say, I'm going to get off at floor 50. Mm -hmm. So you know that there, there are floors above you and there are floors below you because you're in a skyscraper. It was that feeling. And I knew there were levels below me and there were levels above me. But I call this the bouncing station only because I got sent back. So I get to this place and I hear the most beautiful music. This music you can't make on the earth plane because I sat up the outer synthesizer for days afterwards trying to recreate that sound. And I could not find any sound that sounded like the music I had heard because it was more beautiful than any music um, that we can make on the earth plane. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking to see where the music is coming from. So I see a log cabin and I always think it's funny what we all see. <laughs> I see a log cabin and I open the door to this log cabin thinking the music must be coming from there, but I don't have a, I don't have a body and I'm just in soul form, mm -hmm. but I'm still rotating in space. And I look inside this log cabin, but it's empty. So then I look to my left and I see another log cabin that looks exactly the same as the one to the right, just the mirror image. And I open that door and look inside, but there's nothing there. Hmm. But then I become aware of this growing light behind me. And it is as if you're um, standing at a car dealership with, a, with those bright spotlights shining on you. And it just grows bigger and bigger. And then as I turn around, this this light is pretty much just everywhere. I don't know how to describe it because it just extends into infinity. You are a uh, part of this light. You are in this light, but it is, um, it is the knowing that you are connected to the divine source. And I don't care what you call it. If you want to call it God or, uh, you know, divine source or whatever it is, but it is what, what we come from. And there is, there was this knowing that, we are part of this light and we, we come from this light and we return to this loving light at death. Mm -hmm. But the music came from the light and in the light, there is an outline of angels and the music is coming from the angels. But even though I had my first near-death experience, I'm still you know, thinking that must have been something my brain must have you know made that because i'm su such a scientist right so i'm trying to make sense out of that first near-death experience so here i am in the light and now i'm seeing angels and hearing this beautiful music and knowing i'm with divine source and 
it's you know overwhelming because I'm still trying to make sense out of it. Yeah. Then I um, become aware of two spirit guides. There's one on my right, and he says to the other spirit guides, that's kind of diagonally to the front, to the left of me. And she, he says, what is she doing here? She can't be here. She has to go back. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, 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 no. Wait a second. <laughs> How can I be outside my body and still be me? And then the guide on my left says, if I told you, you wouldn't remember, but you will remember this. And I've heard other people talk about how there is ways that they can control what we remember. Uh, other, other people have had similar experiences. And then it is as if it's almost like a, a movie screen because the images just appear. And it is as if I'm standing on the moon looking down on earth. Mm -hmm. But around the earth, it is what I called at the time, because it's 1994, I called it the silvery glittery fishnet because mm -hmm. We didn't have the internet yet. And so we could not Google these kinds of things. We didn't have Google yet. Right. Uh, there was no search engine, right? And having been raised in Sweden, and I was, you know, finally graduated to be the rower after my three brothers, uh, to row the boat for my grandmother as she laid fish nets in the ocean uh -huh. to catch fish for the family to eat. And when she lifted these nets out of the ocean in the early morning sun, those water droplets would sparkle on the fish net. And the fishnet has this kind of diamond shape. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking down on the earth and I see this, what I call the sparkling fishnet around the earth. And the spirit guide says, everything on earth is connected to each other, but everything on earth is connected up to this grid. Mm -hmm. And with that knowledge, I got sent back. So I spent years plowing through. We lived in uh, San Francisco for 12 years in East Bay. I spent years plowing through the San Francisco Public Library to see if I could find anything on this grid. What is this grid? And after many, many years of, you know, looking, I'm sure I didn't look in the right sections. Like, how, how do I find this kind of information? And then it wasn't until I was in medical school, and I think it was uh, 2013, and I told my daughter for the first time the whole story about her, her birth and all, everything that happened. And she says, she looks at me, she says, Mom, that grid, it's on the internet. You can, you can just Google it. And it was then I became aware because I had given up on, you know, doing all that research for many years. And now you can Google it, the grid around the earth. And there's many different versions, mm -hmm. but that is what, um, but th these two near death experiences together is what activated my life path and really changed the way I view the way we exist, uh, within this earthly realm. Yeah. That, that is quite a story. Um, and so you came out of those with newfound intuitive abilities, right? Like I kind of think like we're all somewhat naturally intuitive, but psychic mediums are a little different. So you're clairaudient, clairsentient, and, and clairvoyant. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Yep. And did you did you have any of those abilities beforehand or inklings that you might? Um, I think they were always there. That was a, a baseline, so to speak, that I mm -hmm. came in to this life having these abilities. And when I trained at Arthur Findlay College or uh, worked with shamans, they've told me you were a born shaman or you had these abilities, you had these mediumistic abilities when you were a child, mm -hmm. you just suppressed them and you didn't know that you had them. And being raised in that very scientific environment, my father being you know, a, a physician, mm -hmm. uh, you know, everything is science and it's you know, A leads to B leads to C. Um, and he didn't really believe in um, spiritual, you know, spiritualism or that you existed after death or that your soul survives. So I was raised with that understanding. So of course that's all going to be suppressed, but it was after these experiences that there was no way I could stop it because for 12 years, it was just, uh, I would see things that would happen before they happened. And in the beginning, I would just think it was a deja vu, mm -hmm. but then it started becoming uh, you know, more and more prevalent. And after, you know, a couple of years, I started writing it down so I could go back and say, oh, I did, I did have this, you know, I did see this yesterday or two days ago, mm -hmm. where I would tell my children. And I think a really good example that I talk about in my book is um, the accident, I call it the accident. So um, a good example would be that, and I woke up one morning, and I saw three slides, it's like images, because I, 
I'm mostly clairvoyant, though I also feel things in my body and I hear things, but I would say probably uh, 90% is clairvoyant because I see images. And even when I communicate with the spirit world, uh, mm -hmm. I communicate with images versus some people communicate. They, they want to see images, but all they can do is hear, right? Yeah. We all have our uh, the ways that we use our own facilities. So um, I saw three images and uh, the first image is just a black scratch across the van door. Mm -hmm. And um, the second image, I see two of my kids in the car, my middle son in the front seat, my daughter in the back seat. And then the third image, I'm leaving a note on a black at the, on the windshield of a black sedan car. And I, I told my kids, I was driving them to San Francisco every day because they were in school in San Francisco. We lived in East Bay. So every day we crossed the Bay Bridge. And so a lot of driving back and forth. And we figured out how could we be hit on the right-hand side of the car? Well, we must be making a left turn in order for the car to be exposed, right, in oncoming traffic. And a lot of the streets are just one-way streets, in, like in most major cities. Mm -hmm. And going in, you know, down to the freeway, it was just you know, two lanes in each direction. So after 10 days of driving, and every time we get, we figured out it was this one intersection. And every time we get to this intersection, we get off the Bay Bridge, we go down to the street, service street. My kids' nose is up against the windows. Mom, mom, the coast is clear. And, you know, <laughs> like, okay, let's go. So turning left, we made it. And then after 10 days, we're in Walnut Creek, which is East Bay, San Francisco, in the bookstore. We come out of the bookstore and there's this big truck in the way. And it's a very you know, tiny street. You got a man maneuver to get out on. And as I'm... Um, as I'm exiting the parking lot, the right-hand side of my car scrapes the parked car, and it is a black sedan car. Uh -huh. so as this happens, I, you know, I now I know what you know what happened. So I get out of the car, I walk around the car, I look at the scratch, the exact image that I had described to my kids, and of course there's no driver. So here I am leaving my note on the windshield of the black sedan car, but it's a good it's a good example because. I think a lot of people have these intuitive abilities, mm -hmm. but we suppress them or we say it was just a deja vu. Yeah. And because we don't write them down or we don't tell other people, but we are intuitive creatures. Yes. We all have this ability within us and it's just a matter of bringing that out. And that's what I try to do with my book um, by telling them, sharing my own journey, making people aware of how, how they can become more intuitive as well. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. And so your kids were brought up knowing kind of how you are and what your gifts are and being open to this intuitive side. Um, do you see any of those qualities in them as well? Uh, I would say my youngest child, my daughter is extremely intuitive. Uh -huh. um, my boys are a little bit more resistant. Uh -huh. uh, they are intuitive and they do tap into it, but it's more um, they haven't sort of sorted it out for themselves yet. But, you know, just like most of us are, we, you know, we, we are intuitive. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are, but they're a little bit more, a little bit more skeptic. <laughs> right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so during your NDE, um, you had this very profound experience of being out of time or of time not existing. So I'm curious, as you contact those on the other side, is there a sense for them that they're also operating out of time or are they also on a timeline? Can it be both? Does it shift? How do you kind of think about that? When, when you're out of body, um, I think the timeline is just something that we experience here in the earth plane. Mm -hmm. We have this sense of linear time and that we can only move forward. Yeah. But when you communicate with the spirit world, um, and I think it's part of it is just because I had that experience myself. So of course, I'm going to influence the way I am going to perceive this when I, when I talk to the spirit world, because I had that experience myself so it's going to be that's going to be influenced because i am only a human in the end yeah. <laughs> right dealing with my own brain and and uh how i perceive things but i think the there is no time on the other side it's it's because it's a different existence we have to experience time linear the way we are living on earth in order to have our earthly experience mm -hmm. interesting and I guess one of the other um, big insights that you've gathered 
um, since, since you've kind of fully accessed your, your intuitive capacities, is that lots of the trauma we experience is passed down over generations through DNA, I guess. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so I got interested in ancestral healing, and it was actually while working as a medium. And I was doing uh, readings for three or four people in a row. And this is usually, you know, the, the spirit was like, okay, let's get her the message, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Why am I having the same kind of reading? And it was, the readings were always about uh, things that were being passed down in the generations within that lineage. So it would be the grandmother, I would see the grandmother and I would say, I see your mother, there were three children and uh, the grand, your grandfather was abusive towards your grandmother. Is that mm -hmm. correct? And he would, he would hit them and he would also hit the children. And, you know, the client would say, yes, yes, that's, that's what happened. And I said, then your mother is one of these children, but then she married your father. But now I see you as a child and I see your father hitting your mother and hitting you. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I could see the, the, uh, the, those abusive types of situations being passed down in generations. Mm -hmm. And I did three or four of these readings in a row. And I said, wow, what's happening? Why am I getting, you know, many times it's, you know, I lost this person or it was a car accident or I just want to, you know, see if they're okay on the other side. But it was three or four readings in a row that was almost exactly the same. Yeah. So I said, okay, what's, what's with this lineage thing that's being passed down? So then I actually studied ancestral healing. It's a form of counseling. And Granted, we studied counseling in medical school because we have to be able to assess a patient. Does this patient need to be seen by a psych, you know, a psychiatrist? And so it is the merging of uh, what I learned in the ancestral healing and counseling in med school combined with mediumship and my shamanic training that has all <laughs> merged into this unique approach, uh, the way I deal with ancestral healing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times things just get passed down through the generations. So um, you might have an issue. Um, a, it could be al almost any issue. You might not feel safe in your environment. You might um, pick the wrong person in the relationship. You might have a fear of something, but you don't understand why you have that fear. So that could be in you know, almost anything that shows up in an ancestral um, uh, inheritance where things are passed down yeah. via DNA. Mm -hmm. And your theory is that the transmission mechanism for this is kind of that same cosmic fishnet that you saw in one of your first NDEs. Is that, is that right? So there are different kinds of, of right? Yeah. So there are different kinds of mechanisms. To me, I look at it, um, things get passed down via DNA. Mm -hmm. And then, but we're also connected uh, through time and space via this fishnet. And also we take on things from the experience that we have in our own families as children. But then ultimately the things that you take on and the experience that you have ultimately come are passed down ancestrally. So if you look at it scientifically um, for you know, the DNA, there've mm -hmm. been um, scientific studies. So there is one great study that is called epigenetic inheritance of ancestral odor fear conditioning. Wow. And it was a study that was led um, by Brian Diaz at the Emory University School of Medicine. And it was published in Nature Neuroscience back in 2013. So look how old this stuff it already is. Mm -hmm. And, but it's one of the best studies yet that provide the best evidence um, for how uh, memories and traumatic events are passed down from generations via DNA. Wow, that's fascinating. So it is fascinating. I did not know that. Right? Yeah. And so they did, um, they took, uh, they had a mice study and they exposed the uh, male mice to a scent, the cherry blossom scent. Mm -hmm. And every time they smelled this cherry blossom, they would give them a little bit of an electric shock. Mm -hmm. So after a while, these male mice said, well, I smell cherry blossom, you know, now I have fear for this cherry blossom, stay away because that happened, you know, I'm going to get that electric yeah. shock. So then they took the sperm from this male mice and they artificially inseminated female mice. And then those little mice pups that were born, they exposed them to the cherry blossom smell. And guess what? That's 
That's they crazy. Were wow. Fearful of the cherry yeah. blossom smell because that was transferred down via DNA yeah. to the mice pup to fear that. But there have also been uh, there are studies being done on humans now, and they've already isolated a few gene, genes. And I know the um, FKBP5 gene is one of them. And they did research on Holocaust survivors, and they could see that uh, they know already that trauma can be passed down through the generations, at least three generations, because that's how far they've gotten in the research. Yeah. And so think about this for a moment. So this fear can be transferred down. So let's say that grandfather uh, served in World War II, right? And then now you know, he survived and he had children and then his children had children. Now you have, let's say the granddaughter. And every time, let's say this grandfather, every time because it's World War II, so the sirens would go off you know, before the flying airplanes would come and drop bombs and he would have to take shelter. And every time this grandfather heard the sirens, he would think, this is it. This is the day I'm going to die, right? So he creates that fear. The si he hears the sirens. This could be it. So he survives. And now this granddaughter, every time she hears some kind of a siren, she gets a panic attack. But this granddaughter never experienced any kind of fear around sirens herself. So where is it coming from? That fear was transferred down through via DNA to the yeah. granddaughter to have a fear of sirens. So, but then there, you know, we also have uh, connections and, and the way we are raised and um, you have to take all these different things into account to analyze and say, where is it coming from? Right. Where, why am I having this fear? Or why am I having relationship problems? Or why do I think that nobody cares about me? Why do I feel alone in the world? Mm -hmm. Right. All these things, but, and that's what, um, you know, we're doing in the, in the very exciting project that yes, I developed. which we're about to get into, but <laughs> I love it when science confirms what has been espoused in wisdom traditions and in indigenous culture for a very long time. I mean, I'm kind of reminded of an experience I had in my twenties when I was sent to a, or when I was sent to a shaman and he cut my etheric um, umbilical cord. And I thought, well, you know, that was cool. Um, like, is that all there is to it though? Like how much do you think can be done for you versus how much do you have to do yourself as the individual to, to heal from ancestral wounds? I think ultimately we heal ourselves, but mm -hmm. we can't do it. Sometimes we need help in order to do it because we have to, um, we have to create an awareness and change our perception of how we experience that problem in order to create healing for it. So we can have a shaman help us cut the cords, um, but ultimately, uh, you know, depending on what it is, if you, cut, if you just cut the cords, that's only, to me, that's only part of the journey. Mm -hmm. Because when I work with people uh, for ancestral healing, it could be anything. It could be um, a spiritual, a spiritual issue. It could be an emotional component. It could be, you have OCD or anxiety, panic attacks. Um, you're not getting the, you can't figure out how to get the right job. Why do you keep losing your job? Why do you have problems in your relationships? Um, all the different problems that could happen, even physical disease, right? Mm -hmm. Why, why is it that I'm sick? And many times you can see that connection and it's sometimes people, um, I've seen people get the exact same disease at the exact same age as their mother. Oh. Um, yeah. Become, you know, they lose their partner at the exact same age. Mom lost their partner. Yeah. And it's, it's so uh, it's the ancestral clock that's ticking yeah. in the background. And we are so much more connected via, you know, this part of us as DNA. I mean, Hey, 50% is mom and 50% is dad. Yeah. You carry all their genes inside your body. So when you think about the egg that you came from, your mother made the egg that you came from when she was the 20 week old fetus in your grandmother's womb. Mm -hmm. So what was going on in your grandmother's life when your mom was a fetus in your grandmother's womb, yeah, right? Yeah. So what was passed down already? And then you are going to be made from that egg. So it's, you know, we have the science, but we also have the emotional and the spiritual connection of how we perceive ourselves 
in in this life and yeah. how how we are raised and um, the circumstances you know we are raised under yeah. i know some people have a, a not such a great childhood and very difficult um, environment that they're raised in and many times that's also ancestral you see the the lineage of um, you know your mother wasn't able to nurture you yeah well if your mother wasn't nurtured herself right how could she nurture you and so it's that ancestral you can see the ancestral lineage of you know and the grandmother wasn't nurtured and her mother wasn't nurtured it just goes back in time but then when you create that moment of awareness and understanding that the reason you're having these difficulties that come from different scenarios the reason you're having the the difficulties is because now you can see why and it's opening that door to yeah. that understanding because once you see it you can heal it so right when you're, yeah, when you're stuck in that rut <laughs> just yeah. you're stuck in, in that energetic loop and you're just kind of spinning, you know, going around in a circle like a carousel. Yes. And you got to stop the carousel and be able to take a look at it and say, uh-huh, that's it. Now I can see it. Getting some separation from it, mm -hmm. observing it. So let's get more into this um, Hemisync album that you've created called called uh, Ancestral Healing. Um, so for you, it starts with what's called the mother wound, right? And it sounds like you're already kind of dancing around that right here. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a bit more about the mother wound? Yeah, so the mother wound is uh, the reason I developed that track is because it's such a common, um, it's a common problem that I see a lot. And a lot of different um, difficulties arise from having a mother wound. And some people might think, oh, you know what, I had a perfect mother when I was a child. Yeah. And we, you know, had the best childhood. It was like, leave it to Beaver family. Right. <laughs> I've heard that many times. And then you start digging. And then you realize, oh, well, maybe it, it was good, uh, you know, on the surface. But I think most of us carry a mother wound, whether we are aware of it or not. Even if you had a great childhood, there is there are things that there that you are not aware of, mm -hmm. that you are living from a certain space. Um, and it could be something like, um, I don't feel nurtured in my relationship. Why? Because the bottom line is you weren't nurtured by your mother the way you wanted to be nurtured. You might have been nurtured and she might have been a great mom, but she didn't see you for who you are. Mm -hmm. And so that creates a lack. But then you transpose the relationship that you had with your mother onto your partner. And so now you think that it's your partner's problem, but really it's your problem. It's your own problem yes. <laughs> because you're taking the relationship you had with your mom and putting it on your partner right yes. and so it's creating uh so the ancestral mother wound creates that awareness of almost any problem or difficulty that you have with anything it creates yeah. the awareness well why is it where yeah. is it coming from yes and so in in track one i guess you lay the foundation for uncovering what that ancestral mother wound might be and you list like a number of possible examples and i think you've already gone through quite a few possible examples mm -hmm. within this conversation um but what what would you say are the top few that you see most often? Uh, I would say the most common, oh, it's, it's so hard. They're all over the map. Um, I would say not feeling nurtured in a relationship is a common one. Rela any kind of relationship problems, uh -huh. um, attracting the right man or woman or staying in a relationship. Um, being seen and heard for the person that they are yeah. often stems from that as well. I would say that's a common one. Um, getting the job they want, uh, stepping them, stepping into themselves fully and becoming the person they, they really are at the core, but they have a difficult time doing that because something is holding them back and they can't figure out what that is. Um, or even physical diseases um, I've seen to repeat, you know, repeat themselves. Why is it that I just keep getting sick? Why? You know, I was, yeah. it was so good when I was young, but now I have all these immune problems or immune issues many times um, related to an ancestral mother wound. But, you know, when you work with people, if you're physically sick, it's not like you can just pray your way out of it or, you know, I'm spiritual, I'm going to heal myself. Yeah. I always tell the people I work with, my patients or spiritual clients, we live in a physical realm. So use everything that you have to your um, you know, that you can use to, to heal. So if you need a pharmaceutical medicine, 
that works for you and you don't have side effects, then take it. Uh, maybe you should take herbs. Maybe you should do acupuncture. Maybe you should use homeopathy. Maybe you should uh, start a meditation practice. Maybe you need to be outdoor more and, uh, you know, be grounded in nature. But, you know, don't think that it's just one, one way. Because many times I hear people say, you know, my aunt is so negative and that's why, you know, she gave herself cancer. Yeah. Well, that's true, but there's probably an ancestral component. She can't get out of that loop and she's stuck in that negative loop. And, and until you create that awareness, she can get herself out of that. But mm. she also needs treatment because it has manifested physically. Right. So use, use everything that you have available. Don't, don't say that you're just going to you know, be spiritual and meditate yourself out of this. Great if that works. Right. But don't forget to use everything else too, because right. why wouldn't you? <laughs> and I feel like too many people are, you know, it's got to be all one way or, or the other with this stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, for instance, like I think Reiki is great, but like if I have a gunshot wound, like I want a surgeon, <laughs> I, I don't exactly. need Reiki. Um, so uh, very good. So in, 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 in your own uh, personal family uh, medical practice, you emphasize healing on both physical, emotional, and spiritual levels. Mm -hmm. Is that right? And that's sort of what you're talking about. Here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think in order to really heal, uh, yeah. to create healing, you have to work with all those uh, facets. So you have to you have to nurture your body. You have to give the body what it needs because it's 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 physically now you have physically manifested whatever that is. Or maybe you just incarnated, you incarnated to be sick, right? That's how I look at, I was sick for many years, a good, you know, six years, it took me 12 years before I felt like a normal human being going through this whole bone marrow suppression. But the way I look at it now, it wasn't so fun going through it. And it's yeah. never fun to be no. there in the trenches and, you know, how am I, am I ever going to get well? Am I yeah. ever going to have a job again? Right. Mm -hmm. And it seems impossible when you're in that state, but now looking back, I know I took that ticket. Yeah. I needed that ticket. I had to go through that myself in this life in order to do what I'm to do for the rest of my life. Right. So that I can bring healing and help other people heal. And, and that's what I'm really hoping uh, this ancestral healing will help a lot of people uh, that may not be able to um, afford working with uh, a, a physician or a counselor. And this is a way for them to create healing for themselves. But as we are all connected, when each person creates healing for themselves, they heal the people around them and they mm. heal their ancestral lineage. And, and that's that so is important. So, yeah, because it's yeah. creating healing through the generations across the world. And that's yeah. what we need right now. Across the world is very important right now. Mm. Um, thank you for that. So track two then is tracing your ancestral inheritance of the mother wound. What's that about? That is when we, so the first track is I kind of lay the foundation and give a lot of examples so mm -hmm. people can start understanding how to think about this. Yeah. And then in the second track, I tell them, um, you know, what is an issue you would like to focus on today? And it could be anything. It could be, you know, a mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, whatever the issue is. Mm -hmm. And then we, they take that issue and that's what they're going to work on during the rest of those tracks. Gotcha. And so that is tracing, you know, learning to trace where their issue is coming from. And so I take them on um, all these different meditative exercises so that they can understand what, where that comes from, where mm -hmm. is that, let's say, relationship problem coming from. Gotcha. So then track three then is journey to reveal your ancestral mother wound. And so this is an actual shamanic journey. And for people that um, are maybe new to this or aren't clear on it, how would you compare a shamanic journey to an OBE since you've kind of described or touched upon both within this conversation? Same, but different. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, in a shamanic journey, right. So if I'm in a shamanic journey or meditative state and, you know, it's such a fine line where, you know, what you, what you call these things, because yeah, they, totally. at a certain point they blend together Yes. and I have a hard time distinguishing, you know, well, is it, is it a shamanic journey or is it an OBE? At yes. what point does that change? Mm -hmm. So, but in a shamanic journey, you uh, typically, you go to other places, other realms. Um, and I take them, um, down into the, the underworld where they will meet animals and spirit mm -hmm. guides and they will help them um, show them where, where, where their problems are coming from. Yep. Because when you go into that um, sort of alternate state of existence, even though yep. you're 
we're still in the earth plane, right? We're sort of right. traveling in this earth plane. Um, and OBE, I would say, is a different, you go to a different plane. So in mm -hmm. that out-of-body experience, um, I'm with divine source. I'm in a different place. Um, it's just like different levels. It's an OBE is you went through the veil. Yeah. The other side. And then you went back through the veil again versus the way I look. And this is just my perception uh -huh. when I, in a shamanic journey. I'm traveling in the earth plane, but I have access to past information, future information. Yeah. And I can. Yeah. So I'm somewhere in between the two. That's how I look at it. I'm not in yeah. my I'm not in my body, but I'm not completely out of my body in the divine source realm. Right. I'm somewhere in between the two. And yeah. when you're in this state, you have access to more information. I've seen my past lives in this state and then verified it by starting to dig in history and, mm -hmm. and ordering history books going, oh my gosh, that is the place I went to. And this is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks for that. Um, I mean, I agree. It's somewhat arbitrary where we draw the lines between these various different flavors of um, altered states of consciousness that really exist along a spectrum. Um, yeah, the shamanic journey um, seems like it's, you know, a flavor that is connected to a particular lineage usually and has certain kind of hallmarks of it, you know, su such as the underworld or meeting with spirit animals, you know, things like that. Um, thank you for that. Um, and so this fourth track is also a journey and it's called healing your ancestral mother womb. So here you're kind of bringing it all together. And you bring it together in creating a healing sentence. What is that? So as we go through the tracks, um, I make you aware of words that surface in your mind when you're thinking about, you know, experiences in your childhood or your mother, uh, things like that. And so there are words that surface and those words that surface uh, typically many of them have very specific meaning. And when I work with people, uh, if I ask them questions, the words that come up are often very particular word choices that they have when they talk about their childhood or their mother. And those words then become part of that healing sentence, because that's typically also how their issue is tied into the word choices that they have. Because mm -hmm. we're, we're humans. So the way we express ourselves, you know, every word also has a frequency and a resonance and all of that. Yeah. But those uh, those words is what you know, have um, worksheets so that as they go through the tracks, they can write things down. And then at the end, we use those words to create a healing sentence so that we can let go of that problem or that issue. And then we do that through a, a shamanic journey where we connect with either the spirit world or uh, if the mother is still alive mm. and we connect with the mother and we speak to the mother from soul to soul. Mm -hmm. And we release that problem and we send healing to the ancestors backwards and forwards in time. Beautiful. And the uh, guidance manual that, that you have created for this album, along with our own uh, Carol Moore, is really fulsome. I think it's the most detailed manual we've ever created. Um, and so really, when you pull it all together, this is really more of like a miniature online course as opposed to an album. Um, really tremendous work. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I hope that we, you know, we can create a lot of healing. Yeah, me too. Any uh, parting thoughts on this album before we go on to kind of where folks can find you and learn more about you and your work? Yeah, I think, um, you know, people who are ready um, to show up and do the work and create yeah. healing for themselves, uh, you know, remember that you are creating healing, not just for yourself, but all of those that you come in contact with. Because when you create healing for yourself, your uh, own physiological expression, your own DNA, the way you interact with other people, what you say, how you use your words, everything is going to change. Mm -hmm. And so you're by doing something like this, like this course, you're creating healing for yourself, but also those around you. Mm -hmm. Beautifully put. Um, and how about your website? You've got a podcast too. That right. Yeah. So I have, I have two websites. So one is called Dr. Lottie, D-R-L-O-T-T-E. And that has more, I mean, I'm a medical practice and what I do, I work a lot with hormones and menopause and endometriosis, uh, mold issues. I'm certified yeah. in mold um, 
like I'm not a mold expert. We don't like to say we're experts, but I have mold education. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, uh, I can treat a lot of, that's typically people who fall through the cracks. They've, they've had mold, mold exposure or they've had Lyme disease. And uh, so I get a lot of the, the people that fall through the cracks. Yeah. And then it also, that website is connected to my spiritual website. So uh, my spiritual website is called divinespiritualessence.com. And you can go to Dr. Lottie and then say, I, you know, it says, do you want to work with Dr. Lottie spiritually or learn more about her spiritual work? Click mm -hmm. here. And then it takes you over to the other website. All right, good. They're um, and then they can sign up for a uh, email. Um, and that's the best way to learn about my podcasts that come out mm -hmm. and, you know, any upcoming uh, online events or courses and things like that is to sign mm -hmm. up for the email. And um, my podcast is called Dr. Lottie science with soul. Uh -huh. And I'm really excited because I just learned uh, just a few weeks ago that I started this podcast during the pandemic, the mm -hmm. fall of uh, 2020. So I've had it for about a year and a half, and it's now uh, rated the top 10% globally out of 2.8 million podcasts. You've had some big names on your show. Like you've had Eben Alexander, PMH mm -hmm. Atwater, Raymond Moody. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You, so, you know, you've done a lot of shows too. Like you're much more prolific than I am. Like, I don't think people appreciate like how much work these are. Like there's like a lot of research and prep you have to do for each one of these. And you've done what, like 70 something, something like that. Yeah. A year and a half. Half. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. But it's all about, to me, it's all about, um, helping people heal, create healing physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And yeah. so the people that I interview on my podcast will be anything from, physicians uh, that treat diseases that are often misdiagnosed mm. and, um, you know, bring awareness to there are, you know, th there is help out there yeah. uh, or, you know, acupuncture, homeopathy, and, you know, people can just learn more about it to uh, people like Raymond Moody, Evan Alexander, and, you know, people that have had near death experiences yeah. uh, or even my own uh, teachers from Arthur Findlay college, you mm -hmm. know, big, big famous mediums and what they can bring to the listener. Cause it's all about, again, you know, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, that mind, yeah. body, spirit. But it is a, it's a deeper connection than I, than I think we realize between them. Mm -hmm. And so that you can find. So Dr. Lottie's Science with Soul, it's on all major podcasts, platforms worldwide, yeah. as well as YouTube, Audible, Amazon, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, and all those platforms. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, you heard her. Go check it out. Um, if you have any questions or comments, please leave it uh, below. Uh, well, I guess it depends on the platform you're on, but leave us a comment. We'll try to get back to you. If you found this useful, give us a like, share it up. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks to Dr. Lottie for doing this album with us. See you folks next time.